Our sponsor today is GLSA. For those non-members who may be listening in, GLSA or Group Legal Services Association is a professional membership organization representing the legal services plan industry and provider attorneys. And joining GLSA is just a good way for solos and small firms to increase their business. Check us out at glsaonline.org. Okay, my name is Tom Martin. I'll be your host today. Our podcast is Why Legal Design Matters and What You Should Do About It with Tessa Manuelo. I'm very excited to introduce you to today's guest. Uh, Tessa regularly consults and delivers deeply engaging, thought-provoking, and highly motivational experiences for audiences connecting the dots where nobody does. She teaches and strategizes in organizations, universities, and law associations worldwide. She's the founder of Legal Creatives. She helps the legal industry reimagine the legal experience in the digital era. And Tessa is also a lecturer at the University of Sherbrooke in Canada and a certified mediator and skilled facilitator. And I'm very happy to introduce her. Welcome, Tessa. Thanks, Thomas, for the invitation. I'm really excited to be with you today in order to share a few of uh, my secrets with you about legal design and creativity and uh, innovation. Yes, and I know my listeners will be very happy to hear those secrets. I know that um, you know, you've been kind of preaching the gospel of legal design worldwide. And um, you know, one question I have for you, like just initially, is where do you, where do you live? Because <laughs> I've seen you everywhere, all over the world. Not that I've globetrotted myself, but I've seen that you've been in Brazil, France, throughout Europe. I met you in Mexico at a legal tech conference there. Where do you call home? Well, the world is home, right? <laughs> <laughs> the world is a home because in this new era, you have to be real quick. And as you may know, the ones who are going to win uh, in this new era are not necessarily the big fish, but the quick fish. So I'm a quick fish, and this is why I turned a digital nomad uh, last year. Uh, it allows me to work, travel, and live anywhere and everywhere in the world. So I get to travel quite uh, intensively. Uh, at this time, I'm in Brazil, and I will be soon heading to Europe uh, with a stop before that in Canada. And after uh, Europe, um, we'll probably go to the US, come back to Brazil, and very likely also gonna pass by South Africa, because why not? Wow. <laughs> it's not as big as we think, right? It's not a question That's... of mindset, Thomas. You have to have this mindset to think big and to act big. So that's 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 my lifestyle right now and uh, it truly helps me um do better at my job actually wow that's that's amazing and it is something that i pointed out to um our listeners in the past is just you know for them it's more like virtual law practice right but the idea is that most lawyers deal with information they're knowledge workers so if you if that's what you do then why not be able to do it from from anywhere um so i'm just <laughs> i'm envious of, of your lifestyle that's obvious that's awesome that you get to uh thank to you the world well yeah. thank you you know it's been a journey uh, i've been preparing for this for many years now so if some of the listeners are interested in having this type of lifestyle even as a lawyer you can do it uh, all you need to do is find a niche this would be my first recommendation find a niche and so you really develop a niche expertise and then you start delivering this online, uh, whether in the type of uh, online legal services or online legal uh, teachings, uh, type of you know, digital courses or any other um, experience you can give online now from your laptop. Um, the technology is ready for us. So let's take advantage of it to live the lifestyle of your dream. So you might not be so far away from doing that. Uh, for me, I, I, I come from France. I was born in France and I've been living in Canada for the past 10 years. And um, I've always been attracted to the international era and sphere and people to go out and meet new cultures. And so I'm happy that uh, I'm living 
what people would call a dream. Of course, it's not every day a dream. Uh, there's a lot of challenges uh, in being a digital nomad, but uh, you know, when you're creative, you find your way out and you find a solution. So, you know, you're you're truly international, and in terms of legal design, I would love, like, as we progress through, um, to hear more about the international viewpoint on things because I know that you've experienced that. But before we get there, um, if you could tell me a little bit more about your story, like you mentioned that you that you grew up in France, can you tell me a little bit about about where and where you went to school and what did you want to be when you were a kid? Or did you have a, a plan or idea of what you wanted to be? Well, I think kids don't have plans, right? They just have <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> dreams again. No? Um, but when I was a kid, I well, first I grew up in the south of France. Uh, I grew up in uh, actually a fairly small city, but in a very uh, beautiful and renowned place that is on the Côte d'Azur that is near Nice and Monaco by the Mediterranean Sea. So very beautiful, um, very international as a matter of fact, because there's so many tourists that come to this part of France that I was very quickly exposed to um, uh, people who were from everywhere in the world, and especially the US, uh, but uh, also you know every part of the world. And uh, when I was a kid, I actually, wanted to be a photographer and I have no idea why I had this uh, this uh, career in mind because there were no uh, artists in the family um, mm. but I was really attracted to photography and I had no idea how to become a photographer and you know uh, I went to law school <laughs> really <laughs> you know, very far from photography I went to law school and what happened is uh, when I was 16, um, my parents uh, decided to divorce. And this is what triggered me to take law school because I wanted to understand how the law works. I wanted to understand the rules and the system because, um, you know, those kind of situations are not easy to handle. And yeah. And, you know, it's, the laws are supposed to help resolve the situations, but sometimes it seems like it makes it a bit worse for the people involved in them. And um, I just wanted to learn how this system works. So hopefully I would be able to, to help in a way and to contribute to improving the system. And, uh, well, 20 years later... Now I'm like uh, traveling the world, preaching for legal design to inspire, motivate and train lawyers to adopt this very powerful methodology to be able to <clears throat> innovate and improve the quality of the service and improve at the end of the day, the quality of the life of the people they serve. So mm. I've made it truly my mission to inspire as many lawyers as possible in this journey to reinventing ourselves to reinventing the profession and to reinventing the way we work to make it um, better for the clients and also for the lawyers because we know the lifestyle in law is not necessarily easy um, right. so can it be different and this is when you know you can be creative about it and start thinking how can it be different how might we work less and deliver more? And this is why creativity has been a big part of my research and is a big part of my practice today because creativity is challenging the status quo and finding new solutions mm -hmm. to better answer needs and better solve problems. And, and I definitely want to get into more detail about that because I, I think so many um, lawyers, they, they hear talk about legal design, but they're still not sure what it is, especially when they're so busy. But before we get there, I, I still want, you know, to understand that, that transition because I, I definitely get um, going to law from personal experience. I think a lot of um, lawyers have had, 
have had that, you know, where there was something that, that personally affected them that got them interested in the law. Like, what is this that, um, that can, you know, controls us that, that says how things should be, maybe we should change it. And, and they get personally involved and, you know, go, go to law school to try to figure that out. But what, what drew you to what you're doing now? Like the, the whole legal design part of it, like how did you go from, from law school to that? What, what, what drew you to, to the discipline that you are pursuing now? Well, as you say, Thomas, it's all about personal experiences and also personal endeavors and sort of cravings. I had a craving for creativity when I arrived in Canada in 2009. And the mm -hmm. reason for uh, that creativity, um, you know, cravings I had is probably because Canadian winters, as you know, are fairly <laughs> long and very strong, right? It's really cold outside and um, that's by the way part of the reason why you become a digital nomad to sort of escape a little bit the winters <laughs> i hear you there yeah and uh, i discovered my own creativity in those times and i decided to really dive in and explore what it is to be creative uh, what can we do with creativity uh, is everyone creative or is it just for the artist and I really started to explore uh, creativity. So this is at the time of my life that I totally quitted law. I was no longer involved in the legal field at all. I was working in education uh, daytime with an organization in Montreal, uh, the YMCA's of Quebec. Mm -hmm. And um, in the evening, I was sort of exploring creativity, taking different kinds of classes, workshops, in theater, improvisation, creative writing, all sorts of experiences that were really enjoyable. But of course, like you cannot really make a living out of uh, creativity in this way. So I was thinking, mm -hmm. how can I, how can I live a life where I use my legal background and I still, uh, you know, leverage my creative potential? And at this time, I was. Uh, back in law school in Canada because of course in every country and jurisdictions you need to learn uh, the local uh, laws and systems so I was in law school in Canada and I heard that there was a program in the University of Sherbrooke about dispute prevention and dispute resolution and mostly mediation negotiation and I was really interested in getting to know um, in getting to know more about this program. Um, and so I enrolled and there was a research paper to be done. And I asked my professor with whom I was working as research assistant, if I could, you know, uh, research the potential of creativity in a legal field. Hmm. And um, he accepted, he said, uh, yeah, give it a try. And, um, and then and uh, he was confident I was going to be able to produce something interesting and uh, valuable. So that's what I did. So I researched creativity from a theoretical perspective. And then I created this methodology at the intersection of creativity, design thinking, and law. And this was the time where legal design started to be really uh, to get bigger and bigger. Mm -hmm. And uh, but I I didn't know about legal design. I really pursued my own um, endeavors, uh, my own interest, and um, you know that led me to be an influencer today, uh, traveling the world and sharing my knowledge, sharing some of my research, and doing that in a way that is not so academic, uh, in a more entertaining way using also my background in theater and improv and uh, all of that. So that's a bit the journey, my personal journey. And I hope it will inspire listeners to, you know, have sort of to believe in themselves, to you have to believe in yourself that you can do it. And eventually you create something of your own, something that may know that even exist in the world. But we are at this time where we need to reinvent ourselves. So it's a great opportunity to take a leap of faith because 
I think people who take risks are going to be highly rewarded. I love that. Um, two things that I get from that. One is that it's almost full circle in that when you were a kid, you wanted to be a photographer and that's such a creative um, way of approaching the world to see it visually, to look at the beauty in the world and then to come through law and then to incorporate the two together. You know, that is, um, that must be very fulfilling. Yes, exactly, Thomas. It's, um, it's, uh, it's a good feeling. It's a good feeling to, to see that you can manifest a, a new reality for yourself and uh, you can uh, show a new way to others as well that are maybe, you know, considering options outside a very traditional legal practice, right. uh, but don't know how to get started. So I always say you have to start somewhere. It's not like I figured this out from day one, you know, I had to go really one step at a time and trusting it's going to be fine in the end. And it, it, it truly is like very, you know, promising for the, for, for 2020 and the years to come. Uh, we have exciting things happening at Lego Creatives. Uh, we're getting a lot of uh, attention and a lot of traction. So this means there is an interest for this type of um, practice that is very different from what we what we actually teaching in law schools. Yeah, yeah. The, that second thing that I take away from what you said is, you know, that moment that you had where you kind of took a step back from what you were doing and you kind of looked at where do you want to be and then kind of working backwards about how you make things work so that you can achieve those goals that you have in mind. I think a lot of times, especially with lawyers, because the the legal track of how you progress through law school and then you get a law firm job, like all of that stuff is very kind of established. And, you know, we, we've... I've talked with people before about alternative legal careers and how to think about things differently. And I, I love the fact that, um, you know, that that was part of your journey, that you, yes. you took that step mm -hmm. back. Yeah, thanks, Thomas. Well, as Steve Jobs said, you cannot connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. So you <laughs> have to, he'd say that. He'd say you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in the future. So you have right. to trust in something, your destiny, your life, your gut, whatever. You have to trust that, you know, things are going to make sense. So I'm sharing also a bit of my entrepreneurial journey here with you. And I really appreciate those questions because um, this is something we tend to um, not, you know, consider so much. Like, who is the person behind uh, this organization, this project, this company? And I think the personal and the business gets, you know, really when you can connect both of them, you can achieve a most, possibly a most fulfilling life. So. Well, let me ask you now, let, let's get into the meat of it now. So tell me what you're doing now with legal creatives, legal creatives. And, and, and what does it mean to you? Like what, what, what are you, what are you looking to accomplish? So Legal Creatives, now we have this amazing community of lawyers from around the world. We actually have 2,000 uh, lawyers from around the world who joined this movement to, to learn uh, what is creativity, what is design, and how they can incorporate legal design in their own practice to reinvent their business, to um, deliver more value to the clients, and to start thinking also about the end user of whatever is being produced in law firms and legal departments. Because legal design is really about thinking, the end, thinking about the end user. And we tend to think as lawyers producing work for other lawyers or maybe for judges, right? We don't really think about the end user. So lawyers get more interested into that and this is why they're joining this movement and we are providing uh, teachings to them online as well as in person 
And this is why I get to travel so much around the world to reach those communities and to be there in person to deliver a masterclass and also to empower the community to learn this methodology and to, to actually teach as well. When I, so whenever I visit, hopefully uh, people can continue to do those teachings in their community because mm -hmm. I am teaching them how to do that. That is a way for me to impact in a more exponential way um, the industry. So what it means to me to do that is it's a, it's a journey of um, helping the community to reinvest, to, re, to reinvent the business model and to really be different and do different, to do some changes that are going to help them uh, thrive in this new legal era. Mm -hmm. Well, let me, let's drill down a little bit into legal design. You, you touched on it, but I think that the concept is still a very fuzzy one for most lawyers. Uh, I think probably most lawyers at this point through LinkedIn and social media and, and just talking with each other have heard of the, you know, the, the concept of legal design, but what exactly it means beyond just, you know, beyond just taking the client into account, like what, how do you, can you give, give a little more meat to mm -hmm. what it means? For sure. Legal design is innovation methodology. So it obviously derives from design thinking. Design thinking um, was actually got, actually it got popular because of urban design. So when we talk about urban design, it totally makes sense to build homes, buildings and cities user-friendly right mm. we like to have the the door in in the right place right for people to be able <laughs> to enter the homes it totally yeah. makes sense right right and um you want to build a city where you know hopefully uh, there's no traffic jams and uh people can move from one place to another in a smooth and effective way and this methodology of ur urban design then got applied in different spheres it got applied for service design so um, even before that product design so how do you design products that are user-friendly like how do you design better cars how do you design uh, better bikes you know depending on again the user who is the user here and um, what is the user trying to achieve so i think transport is a great example to make everything very tangible Mm -hmm. When you think about cars, uh, think about before we had cars, we only had horses to go from point A to point B. And horses are not so comfortable. You cannot take your entire family with you unless you have many horses. And when it rains, you know, it's not so uh, convenient. And I mean, a horse, you know, cannot go so fast either. So Harry Ford, when he decided to tackle this problem, he actually didn't ask what people wanted because if he had asked at the time what people wanted, they would all have said, we want faster horses. Instead, he tried to understand what people need. So people need to go from point A to point B in a safe way, the fastest possible, bring their friends and family along. And so he invented the car. But the car did not exist at the time. So this is a very, very important uh, aspect of the legal design methodology, at least as I teach it. It's not about asking what people want because people might say they will want more judges in the court system, when instead they need maybe another type of solution to solve their problem. So talking about, uh, say, divorce. So as I told you, I started this journey a little bit also because my parents went through uh, this uh, quite long and exhaustive process. What do they need? They need just to separate the assets and, you know, uh, move on with the life. So is there another way to fulfill this need than the traditional court system? So what type of solution can we put in place? And to do that, you need to ask people what they need and to really understand what they need. And then you can use creativity to build 
a new type of solution. So I don't know if this makes mm. sense. It makes sense to me. I hope it makes sense to you, Thomas, and to and to the listeners. But legal design is really about inventing new types of products, new types of services, new types of systems to create a new experience of the law. And for that, you need to enhance your creative skills. And you also need to understand what people need. This is why we talk a lot about empathy, because empathy is about understand, relating to people's story and understanding what they need. So then you can get creative when you build a solution to satisfy those needs. And there's so many unmet needs, especially in the US. 80%, I believe, of legal needs are unmet on the market. It's a huge potential that is totally untapped. It's a huge market for lawyers to actually serve them in a different way. Because if we have so many unmet needs, it means and it's not like we don't have enough lawyers. There's a lot of lawyers on the market, not just in the US, but everywhere in the world. In Brazil, same. This is why I do so much work in Brazil. There's one yeah. million lawyers in Brazil. A million lawyers, wow. So how can we how can we serve better the client? How can we solve people's problem in a more effective way, in a way that is more satisfying from their perspective? Mm-hmm. So it's, what the takeaway I get from that is that that lawyers could continue to do it the way they do it, where, like for example, the the, the way the current approach to um, I don't know, let's say a civil dispute is you have to file some papers with the court. Then after you do that, then there's a hearing. And then you get in front of the judge and then eventually they're going to hear both sides and you get to you know, argue your case. But if you step back from it, like you said, what, what do people need here? Well, they need, they need dispute resolution. They, they need some, some way of resolving that dispute. And then we consider like all possible ways that we could do that, not just the one that we're currently using, which is the court system. Like, is there some other way um, that we can reach a resolution between the two parties that are disagreeing about something? And and then trying, I, I would guess through not only trial and error, but having users give us their feedback, we could determine which one is the better option. Is that kind that's, of? That's correct. Okay. And also, you, it's not just about thinking alternatives to the court system, but how can we improve the existing court system? How can we make it better? How can we make it more effective? How can we start digitalizing all of those processes and eventually uh, doing those papers on your cell phone? Mm. So it's not just about thinking about alternatives and creating new things, which I believe is great and I can share some examples with you if you're interested, but it's also about improving whatever already exists. How can we make this process better? How can we reduce the time it takes? And how can we ensure that at the end of this entire process in the court, uh, users, litigants are feeling, you know, like satisfied from the decision that has been rendered and the process as well? Because it's not just about decision, it's also about the process. I mean, people don't know when they will finish, you know, get to the finish line. It's really exhausting to go through those processes emotionally, Mm -hmm. financially. It's extremely complicated. And um, can we make it better? Well, let me ask you this. I think, you know, like if I'm to stand in the shoes of most lawyers that are practicing day to day and they hear this, it. It all sounds it all sounds well and good, but they're probably thinking, you know, why should I really care? Like I, I I'm you know I am currently doing it in the way that I'm doing it. It's making me money. It's supporting my family. You know, like why why would I do this? Like you know why why should they care about this? Well, I think we should care about this because we are at a turning point now in the industry. Um, the reason we are at a turning point in the industry is because other industries are changing really fast. And it's not just about, you know, the school apps we have on the phone, but 
just think about banking. Banking 20 years ago was so different from what is banking today. Today, you can wire money so easily from your cell phone. And you can do so many things that is, you know, online. You don't need to go to your bank all the time. Why do we still need to go to see our lawyer in the office? Why do we always need to go to the court to bring the documents in paper? And because other industries are changing so fast, and they're changing so fast because, of course, of the arrival of technology and all of the potential of the digitalization as well, and so consumer habits are changing. Consumers' behaviors are changing. If things get too complicated or too costly or too long, people get disinterested. And at this time, we have a bit of a crisis in the legal industry because people get more and more disinterested from anything that, has, that is related to law. Uh, people don't want to hear about uh, the court or, or or having to do those lengthy processes, they would like to get the problem solved. And in many countries, what's happening right now is people are actually more interested in talking to accountants because they deal with the problem faster and they solve the problems faster. And it's less costly and it's faster and it's less complicated. And so the problem that uh, I see that if we don't change, people are going to be more and more disinterested. And is the 80% of unmet legal needs today in the US is probably going to go up really soon because the technology has a huge potential. And there's so many companies right now that are developing amazing tools to, um, well, to solve people's problem, right? And lawyers, when you think about it, they're solving people's problem, but there are so many tools that are being invented with AI and blockchain, smart contracts. So if we are not interested, at least into um, in technology, if we're not interested in um, reinventing ourselves or at least improving, well, as I said, it's going to be a bit difficult for uh, lawyers to sustain themselves. I don't see. I think that traditional legal practice still have a big market, but in the future, it's probably going to diminish. These big organizations like, I believe, Microsoft, who don't want to hire law firms that do, know, do not show them that they, they innovate or mm -hmm. that they have some kind of uh, legal uh, pricing models that is not by the hour. So clients are starting to ask for a change, and it's a real opportunity for lawyers to start changing. And when we talk about change, we don't need to do radical changes. I mean, you don't need to, uh, to, to shut down your legal practice and to start doing uh, legal tech. You don't need to do that. But you can start incorporating in your practice a few elements to uh, start seeing the potential of legal design and legal tech in your practice to help you as well do better in your job, be more effective and deliver a better service to your client. What, what is the biggest challenge that you face when you talk about legal design with lawyers in the United States? And, and is it different when you talk to lawyers in other parts of the world? Yes, there are some differences depending on the countries, the jurisdictions, the legal mindset. In the U.S., there is a big um, tendency to go to courts and, you know, uh, do a lot of litigation. Litigation is big in the U.S., not necessarily in other parts of the world. And so, of course, when um, you only think about taking a client to court and sue the other party, then it's a bit more difficult to start seeing the potential of legal design because legal design means you can do uh, prevention of dispute. Uh, legal design means you can have some contracts that are drafted in plain language that will actually um, reduce inefficiencies because the end user, the people who actually use the contract that are not necessarily lawyers, actually understand the contracts and can perform better. So this contract can become a, a tool, a business tool, and not just a legal tool. But if uh, lawyers are so into litigation, 
um, it gets a bit more difficult to see the potential for this methodology. And probably this is one of the reasons at this time I do so much work in Brazil, because Brazil is also a country where uh, there is a tendency to go to court uh, and to, you know, um, sue whenever you have a problem. But the system is completely overloaded in Brazil. There's 18 millions of cases that are currently open in the system uh, for only 18,000 judges. So 18,000 judges are dealing with 18 millions of cases right now in Brazil. <laughs> Wow. It doesn't, doesn't make sense. I was talking to a judge in Sao Paulo and her and, and her colleagues, they have, I believe, four millions of uh, cases open right now. So because of this, uh, lawyers and also, if I may say, legal consumers are interested in alternatives because it just doesn't work. Uh, it would take them 10 to 15 years to wait for a decision. Who has 10 to 15 ways? 10 to 15 years to wait, or to waste. You don't have that time when you uh, run a business, you have a family, you know, you need to take yeah. care of these things in a prompt way. So this is why I do so much work in Brazil, teaching lawyers to do things differently so they can better serve the clients and potentially prevent disputes because nobody wants to, well, Maybe everybody wants to go to court, but once they go, they don't want to go back, right? <laughs> that's that's true. Yeah. Well, okay. So through Legal Creatives, you, you have, I saw that you have an online academy, an in-person masterclass, and then these innovation sprints. And I, I was curious to know, like, what are the differences between these things and and how can they help lawyers? So the online academy, I created it last year in order to um, deliver content to my community that is worldwide. I have lawyers from everywhere around the world joining this movement. And I created this online academy to uh, give them some content, some strategies, and to give them at least the beginning of the methodology so they can start implementing legal design in their practice. And because there was a really positive response from the community, and that is from every country and every field of laws, is you know, it's, it's not something that is made just for, say, uh, litigation lawyers or insurance lawyers. Uh, this is a methodology that is universal because it's really at the intersection of creativity, design, for the legal practice. So it's not content-based content methodology, it's more of a process based methodology and the response was so big I decided to create a more like substantial course to actually start teaching people uh, the fundamentals of the methodology and I can still do that online but there is a limit to what you can do online at a certain point it's so much better to be doing this in person so this is why I created those master classes that are a one-day intensive course uh, where I take participants through the entire methodology so participants get to learn and get to practice um, legal design and get to solve some problems that are relevant in their practice. And I give those classes everywhere in the world. So now my objective is to, in every city that I visit, to empower um, at least one participant to become a certified uh, facilitator. So then uh, they can deliver the type of uh, training that I do in their community. And so I hope this answers the question that is, what is different between online academy? Well, this is online teaching and masterclasses is highly intensive one day courses to learn the methodology and to apply it and innovation sprints Oh, well, they're really interesting Interesting if you would like to really solve a particular challenge, say dispute resolution. We've been talking a lot, Tom, mm -hmm. about you know, litigation and prevention or alternative to the court system. We've done a sprint in Sao Paulo on the future of dispute resolution. And in this sprint, we really focus on solving this problem. And we bring in some research, 
Uh, we bring in the methodology and we take participants through the different steps. So at the end of the day, they get some really interesting prototypes and a ton of ideas that they can bring back to the office so they can start thinking differently about dispute resolution, whether it involves technology or not. So that's a bit like the offer that we have at Legal Creatives. Mm -hmm. And I'm really excited uh, for this year to be you know, certifying facilitators uh, to be able to use this methodology and to teach it as well. So together, we're going to have an exponential impact and we're going to transform faster this industry that, you know, we have to be honest, is a bit reluctant to change. So <laughs> together, we're going to be stronger, right? Definitely. Can you think of some examples of, um, of any lawyers or law firms that you've helped through um, through your work with the creative design process? Oh, there's a lot of examples, but say uh, we want to talk about um, contracts. So contracts, as we know them, uh, they are printed black and white on papers, fairly long, very technical, hard to understand for the end user. I mean, even for lawyers, hard to understand because if they were so easy, we probably won't go to court, right? Everybody would understand and we wouldn't need a judge to interpret the contract. So how can we do contracts in a different way? How can we have contracts that are digital? How can we have contracts that are drafted in plain language, maybe use visuals as well? And so we have, for instance, one of our past masterclass participants in Sao Paulo, she decided to use the masterclass learnings to start the digitalization process in uh, her company uh, for contracts. So she started to incorporate different uh, tools, integrate them together, including QR codes. So now the people in the company who uh, are actually need to interact with contracts can download some part of the contracts just using their phone by scanning a QR code. So it makes the experience easier, much more innovative, and much more aligned with, as I told you before, the new, um, the new habits of uh, consumers and the new habits uh, that we have as users because we have this really powerful computer in our pocket that we can use to do so many things, right? Yeah. So this is, this is one of the examples um, of many examples. When I was in Sweden last year, when 2017, and I'm going to be back this year in Sweden as well for this great event called the Future of Contracting that we're organizing uh, with Sky Contract and the ARCCM. So we're going to be talking about the future of contracting. Well, when I was facilitating the workshop there, we had uh, so many prototypes at the end of the day. And one of them was like a contract with absolutely no words. It's fully digital using colors and uh, kind of icons wow. and automation system. There's absolutely no words. And <laughs> uh, yeah, it sounds completely unbelievable. And um, when we actually discussed this contract, this is where we got into some really interesting conversations around cultural differences. Uh, as, you know, as I mentioned earlier in the US, uh, you more, you know, inclined towards going to court. And so there was a lot of discussion. Can this contract be uh, legit? You know, is it a legitimate contract? What mm -hmm. are judges going to say about this contract? And other uh, lawyers from Europe were like, no, no, we want to use this contract. We don't want any more the paper contract. Let's use just that. So we go into interesting conversations around also how to implement those new solutions in your practice. So the recommendation that I give is if you're a bit risk adverse, continue using the paper contract and start incorporating some visual elements in your contract or some kind of digital, um, digital you know, kind of um, pages or digital like experiences. So you can start moving from a paper contract to a digital contract without being so radical about <laughs> changing the entire format. But if, you, um, if you're more inclined towards being really innovative and even disruptive, then I have some past participants who actually are now developing some 
audio contracts. Why audio contracts? You're going to say, well, think no. about visually impaired people. People who are visually impaired, there is no way they're going to understand a paper contract. So if you change the format, then you create a contract that is in an audio format that is much more adequate for this very specific user that actually there is no way they're going to read the contract. So those are a few examples of uh, what you can do in those types of masterclasses, innovation sprints, and also learning online with me. Yeah, I think those are fantastic examples. And legal design, like from what I've learned from you, is it's just so powerful that lawyers really should look into it. One thing I have to ask you, though, um, on a different note, is how how do you like? It's a personal question, but how do you how do you manage to balance all of this? I mean, the international travel, you're so engaged on social media, and then having a life. Like, how, how do you? What's your f formula for that? Oh, that's a very difficult question. I haven't yet found the perfect balance. I think my balance is being unbalanced. I think this is how I thrive. So every time, uh, every year, I actually take a full month's vacation. Um, this time, I waited 18 months before taking vacation. So it ended up not being just four weeks. I think it ended up being six weeks vacation, sort of to catch up. Um, I need those times to really, um, you know, uh, re-energize myself, uh, think about uh, my business, think about my life, what I want to achieve, how I want to achieve things. Um, and so part of the strategy for me is to take those breaks and uh, really, like, do no work at all and um, energize myself, focus on myself. Uh, but then when I work, uh, yeah, it, it gets really intense. Um, I, have, I have no secret formula to share, uh, but at least I love what I do. So that is probably what keeps me, uh, you know, up and running with uh, social media and uh, content mm -hmm. creation, um, recording of the teachings and delivering the classes. I think um, if you're passionate about what you do, it really helps you to continue, even when there are some uh, times that are a bit more challenging. Um, so that's my secret. Um, <laughs> I work hard and uh, rest hard, right? <laughs> yeah, and you, and, and you did promise at the beginning that you'd be sharing secrets, so we got some of them today. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the, the last question that I have for you is, uh, you know, What's something on, and, and you've done so many things, there might not be anything left on the bucket list, but is there something on your bucket list that you, that you would love to do that you haven't yes. done yet? Yes, actually, there, are, there is at least one, but there probably are more. Um, what I really want to achieve and I really hope to achieve this year is actually to put up an executive retreat uh, compiling all of the successes we, we've had at Legal Creatives and mostly the success uh, our, you know, our students and clients and community members are having using this methodology to, to sort of share with the world uh, what you can achieve uh, using legal design. And I really want to do this as an executive retreat and I want to do it in Rio de Janeiro uh, in September. Ooh. Well, actually in the end of August. Um, to bring the to bring like all uh, all kinds of you know executives to to see and to engage and to start uh, being more involved into this era because so far to be honest with legal creatives we've been really doing a really good job I think in involving um, not just like junior lawyers or law students but we've also reached. Uh, actually, most of, my, of our master classes participants, they are senior lawyers. They work uh, in-house or they work in law firms, but it's still a bit difficult to reach the executive level. Mm. And so this is why this executive retreat is made for them, for them to, uh, to share the experiences, to share the challenge and to start thinking in a very strategic way about how 
uh, we can innovate in law, but also how law can be used to foster and not break innovation. Because there's so many challenges we need to tackle, climate change, sustainability, um, there's just so many challenges, uh, not just related to the planet, but society and the way we live and the way we work. How can the law be a tool to foster and be a catalyst for change, positive change? Um, I'm a, I believe that the law is the code for society. So if we start changing the code, well, probably society is going to get better. So that's my dream. That's on my bucket list for this year. Uh, it's going to be a big challenge to organize this, but uh, we'll see what happens. I'm very confident in, uh, you know, we've had great milestones so far. So uh, I think this is going to help us and this is going to help as well the industry to go to the next level to, um, yeah, to really innovate, to reinvent and to transform. Well, I think that's a fantastic dream and I do wish you the best in achieving it. And I'm pretty sure that you're going to. Um, so thank you, Tessa. I, I loved getting to learn more about you and what legal design is and why it should be important to lawyers. Well, thank you very much for this opportunity to be sharing my journey and to be talking about what we do and the importance of using legal design uh, in order to you know, create the future of the law. How, how can people follow up with you and keep in touch? Uh, social media, LinkedIn, you can find me, Tessa Manuelo. You can find me on Instagram if you want to see the behind the scenes of everything that I do, including my digital nomadism life. <laughs> and of course, check out the website, legalcreatives.com. And feel free to send an email, tessa at legalcreatives.com. Well, thank you, Tessa, for being my guest today. Thank you very much for this invitation. I've had a really great time talking to you and I look forward to uh, hearing some of your next episodes as well. For sure. And thank you all for listening into our podcast, Why Legal Design Matters and What You Should Do About It with T Tessa Manuelo. Again, uh, this is Tom Martin. I want to thank GLSA for sponsoring. Remember, joining GLSA is just a good way for solos and small firms to increase their business. Check it out at glsaonline.org. Thank you and see you next month.